0: Hi, and welcome to the Total Fit Boss Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Parks, and joining me today is founder of Witten Wire, Melissa Geller, a seasoned podcaster in which one of her podcasts peaked as the number two career podcast in the U.S. and was featured as the best new podcast on Apple. She has done all of this while being the head of marketing engagement at Teachable. Today, we're going to discuss some of what she's taught her 6,000 plus students over the years like how she organizes and automates her processes to be a successful side hustler and how you can too. Life is too short, trying to run a business and balance what you love. I'm your host, Brittany Parks, a former corporate marketing drone and certified life coach turned mompreneur who got fed up with the mom guilt that comes from trying to have the perfect work-life balance. Why can't we have a fit life and a fit business? I'm here to make it easier to be your own boss Welcome to the show, Melissa. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you. So let's get right into it. So everybody wants to know how you're able to be the head of of marketing engagement at Teachable where there's over a hundred thousand creators when they share their knowledge and they get to show all the things that they're doing as creators and how you were able to do that and get to the number two spot in careers in the United States how have you been able to do that?
1: Sure. So let's talk about how I started side hustling. So about five years ago, maybe closer to six years ago, I started teaching Excel classes in person here in New York. So I teach at General Assembly and I really loved it. I always have been such an Excel nerd and even friends and family, coworkers, peers, they would always come to me and ask me for help with Excel. And that became like My magic skill. And (laughs) it was surprising to learn that people wanted to pay for it, like obvious as that sounds, because I had long been just sharing that advice for free. Not necessarily to any credit of my own, but General Assembly, they're established. They have courses of all shapes and sizes from one day, which is what I teach, all the way up through like full-time kind of change your job boot camps. But it never ceased to amaze me that people were signing up for Excel classes month after month for five years and counting. And (laughs) I have always, I guess, over that amount of time, had both a full-time job and a side hustle. And I have always been entrepreneurial. I got that from my dad. He's always run his own businesses. And I love the freedom and creativity that comes with having your own thing where you can make all the choices and you're just in total control, but specifically with teaching, I just loved the ability to help other people and to give them what felt like a really valuable skill. And to me, Excel is so valuable and it's not something that a lot of us are taught, but are thrown into for our jobs. And so for the first couple of months, it was just teaching, but then slowly after classes, people would ask me if I did tutoring. And the first time I was asked, I just said, yes, let me get back to you with my rates. And then I went home and I furiously Googled rates. And then I got (laughs) back to them as though I had been doing that all along. And so I think there's some element of just seizing opportunity. And so slowly I did have rates and I had quite a few students that I was tutoring. And then somebody came to my class and said, hey, I would love to bring you into my company to do consulting. Do you do consulting? And I said, sure, let me get back to you with my rates. And then I went home and I Googled rates. And then that's how I landed a consulting job. And I think it's been maybe not accidental, but I would say I've been really open to opportunity. And I think maybe that's a misconception about side business is that you have to go into it thinking like, first, I want a business. Second, what is the business? Instead, I really just made myself available and I saw opportunities. And when people said, hey, do you do this? Can I pay you? I just kept saying yes. And that's really how I got into side hustling in the first place.
0: Wow, that is awesome. So how were you able to originally get into the General Assembly? How were you, how did you know that, hey, Excel is my thing, and that's what I need to get into?
1: So I worked at General Assembly full-time, and I've been in the online course space for six or seven years at this point. So I was working there as a full-time employee, and I knew that they needed more teachers, but I still went through the application process as anyone else did. right? And so I started by teaching one workshop. And then as I got a little bit more comfortable, I saw more opportunities. So I ended up pitching them on a course that's now known as the Excel Bootcamp. It's like a six-hour program. And it happens to be now the most profitable single day workshop in New York's General Assembly. It's a class that I founded. And I think it just goes to show that Yes, I earlier talked about how people may say, hey, I have an opportunity for you and you should say yes. But also if you see a need and that you have skills that can fill a void, I would say don't hesitate to make the pitch because the worst that somebody can say is no. And so teaching at GA has definitely been the gateway into both my professional career at Teachable and also my own side hustle
0: running wit and Wire. Gotcha. Now let me ask you, Is it because of your Excel that you're so organized and you're able to do this? What are your processes? How do you manage this?
1: I would say that I've always been a fairly organized person when it comes to projects. I think that one of my skills is seeing both a big picture, but also being able to break down a big picture into smaller line items. So professionally throughout my career, leading up to my current role at Teachable, project management is a big part of my expertise and experience. And so I think that's why Excel kind of suits me. I've often joked that my brain sees things in tables and rows and columns. It just makes sense to me in the way that a lot of people look at a table and their eyes just totally glaze over. But when it comes to Excel, I think one of the reasons why it's powerful is because it allows you to organize information. Like at its core, Excel is just a way to house data. And I think data sounds like a big fancy term, but when you're looking at an Excel sheet, whether you're organizing information about your blog posts, your clients, your tasks, you have the ability to keep track of things in an organized way. So whether it's Excel or even other task management platforms that I like Trello, Asana, there are so many ways that you can keep track of information. And I think that's why I like Excel so much. It takes a lot of the guesswork out of things. It keeps me organized. And in a
0: lot of ways, it keeps me sane. Gotcha. Okay. So what does your actual day look like? How are you planning out a day that you're able to manage your nine to five and your side hustle?
1: Sure. So right now we are, you know, in a pandemic, right pandemic, which means that I am home quite a bit as all of us are. So right now my day looks like about 8 a.m., maybe 7.30 a.m. to about 10 a.m., I work on Witten Wire, my own business, and then pretty like standard work hours from about 10 to 6, I'm working for Teachable. And sure, I'll admit that I'm, you know, looking at my email in that time for and Wire. We're all Facebooking. I think all of us are not focused fully right. on productive tasks. So I certainly don't feel any guilt and my boss and coworkers know this about me. But in terms of actual work for my own business, I'm doing that before work, after work, and on the weekends. And now when I say that, I don't mean every single hour of every single day and every single weekend. I make it a point to not work At least one day of every weekend. Like this weekend, I will not be doing any work on Sunday. I've already made that choice and planned around it. But I also enjoy a lot of Witten Wire. Like I really enjoy creating courses. I enjoy teaching. And so I save weekend work to be creative, big picture work that I really enjoy. Like I'm not putting off the annoying stuff for a Saturday. I'm making sure that I can wake up, maybe have a leisurely morning and then do the parts of the business that I really like instead of just feeling like I'm nose to the grind all the time. But it is pretty regimented. And I'll be the first to admit that I've really made the decision to prioritize working on Wit & Wire. My hope is that within a year, it can become a full-time business. But for me, side hustling gives me the opportunity to not just do something that is a little more financially stable, but I also get to test the waters because something that I don't know if it's talked enough about in business is that not every idea that you have is going to work, but you still have to try because ideas that work for other people may not work for you and vice versa. And I love the ability to play with different price points, different services, different offerings. And just because they didn't work, I don't see that as a failure. I just see that as something that I learned and that's why I think having the side business in addition to a full-time job has just given me the peace of mind to do that. I'm not rushing for, you know, a paycheck because I right. have a steady paycheck. So it just gives me a lot more freedom and comfort in my own business to do it this way.
0: Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. So, if we were flying your wall, I know that it took you 3 years to get started with your first podcast. Is that correct? It is. I was
1: still side hustling in that time, but it was three years between the first, I can see it in writing in one of my old documents where I said, I think it would really help my, my brand to have a podcast. And I had a whole idea and that was, I think, early 2015. And it wasn't until 2018 that I launched a podcast.
0: Gotcha. So what was that process like? Everybody thinks it's so easy. <laughs> it, it's not super hard if you know exactly what to do, but there's so many different things as far as equipment, as, as, as far as setting the interviews and editing and all those different things. So when you first got started and especially in 2018, because right now there's podcasts coming, starting left and right, but in 2018, There was less than a million at the beginning of this year. How did you get started and know what to do? And how did you test the waters in order to get to the number two spot in careers in the United States? How were you able to do that?
1: For sure. I think that's a great point that you brought up. The technology and the accessibility of podcasting has changed so much, even in just the last five years. Like when I thought about it for the first time in 2015, it was still, I would say, Pretty pioneering. There definitely were podcasts. Plenty of people were starting podcasts, but the ability to self publish and even to edit and all of that was just a lot harder and a lot more expensive. And I think I felt intimidated by the tech, but I felt really intimidated about the idea of putting myself out there. To me, that's always been maybe the hardest part because I've always been a behind the scenes girl. I've been a project manager, I've worked in event production, like give me a headset and all black clothes and I'm like good to go, that's where I'm comfortable. So to actually be the one whose face is on the podcast graphic, like that was a lot for me to put myself out there because teaching is so different. I think that's something that is not as obvious is that even though I had been teaching for years, there's something much different about being in front of a classroom compared to being on a microphone. I feel really comfortable teaching, it's very interactive, you get to help people achieve an outcome. But with podcasting, and especially with interviewing, you have to really get to know your guest. There's an art to the interview and to figuring out how to ask the right questions to get the best knowledge out of your incredible guest. And then there's just this and that afterwards. In terms of 2015, I felt very intimidated. But then in 2018, I had come into my own a little bit more with a few more years of teaching. But also at that point, I had an online course I was getting more comfortable in this space and I just had this moment of the only way to learn how to podcast is to do it. And so my first podcast in 2018, I was interviewing other millennials about common issues that I thought we were going through, whether it was writing a dating profile that wasn't terrible or negotiating a salary. That was my first podcast and I produced about 30 episodes and by the end, I had a firmer grasp on how to create a podcast. And I think some of the biggest things I learned from doing that early season was that it is very formulaic. And I think that's something that maybe people going into it aren't thinking about yet. But Mm -hmm. if I could share advice about podcasting or really anything else, if you're doing something every week or every other week, anything that comes out at a regular cadence, try to figure out what are the things that you do each time that could be made into a checklist maybe for some people like some of my students they're literally printing out a checklist they want to use a notebook other students it's excel other students it's a trello an asana one of these online task management tools but if you take a minute just to sit down and think okay what are all the things that i do for each episode i find a guest i prepare for the interview i do the interview i do the editing even just creating that sense of checklist that really helps you automate the process because Now you're not having to recreate the wheel every single time. And on top of that, maybe it's not that every single week you're doing each task in order. Maybe you decide you want to do batch working. That's what I do now where I do four to five interviews within one week. Mm -hmm. And then after that I move into the editing, I move into the production and the marketing and the publishing because batch working really helps me keep my sanity. And especially because I have a full-time and a side hustle, just being in the mind space of interviewing is so much different than the mind space of marketing. So that's one of the ways that I keep saying. Now, to directly answer how did our podcast hit the number two spot, this is a whole kind of mystical part of Apple. There's a section that's called New and Noteworthy, and it's evolved quite a bit in the last two years between 2018 and 2020, when we're recording this episode. And as of right now in 2020, my advice about how to hit that chart has changed pretty drastically. So, my podcast, Everything is Teachable, was featured in the best new podcasts in business, action, which named... I love that name, Everything oh, is Teachable. I think it really captures like the spirit of what, you know, teaching yeah. is about. And we interview such diverse creators, diverse in both who they are and what their life looks like, but also in what they teach from playing the handpan, which is a musical instrument I'd never heard of, It like a <laughs> VA, or decorating cakes, like you can truly teach anything. And the reason why I think that podcast was able to hit the charts is that frankly, we did come into it with an audience. If we had been starting from ground zero, where there was nothing else and the podcast was our first foray into existing on the internet and having a brand, Uh I think it would have been incredibly challenging for us to hit the charts. And even a year later, I don't know if we would hit the charts today because I hate to say this, but if you look in the new and the noteworthy sections, it's primarily made up of network shows. Yes. And although I think at first that might sound maybe disheartening to hear me say, you know what, I don't know if indie podcasters can really hit that anymore. I also don't think it's that big of a deal because when I've talked with podcasters who have hit that chart, my own included, it doesn't lead to as big of a bump in downloads as you might think. And when I say downloads, I mean, listen, a lot of people are streaming on Spotify. That's still a a download in industry terms. But if you think, how do you find your own podcasts? Most of us are not necessarily going to Apple to scour Apple to find new shows. It's not that you couldn't do it. But for most of us, we're finding podcasts because there's somebody that we like that we found somewhere else, whether it was through a recommendation from a friend who said, like, girl, you got to listen to this podcast. Maybe it's somebody that you found on Instagram and you just like their vibe and then you realize that they have a podcast. Maybe you were listening to your favorite show and then a guest came on and you thought, wow, that woman has something going on that I'm interested in. I want to listen. For the most part, we're being introduced to our favorite shows through something else. It's not through Apple. and so. I hope that people who maybe are thinking about podcasting don't have to think of that section as the end-all, be-all. That's not what's going to determine your success. Surely it's a sign that you do have a lot of downloads, you do have a larger audience, but making it into those sections is not what's going to be the one thing that will cause you to be successful, if that makes sense.
0: Yes, yes, that does make sense, and what also really makes a lot of sense that i didn't mention that you just mentioned before that was huge as far as the headspace of when you're recording and marketing and separating those things out now I'm very familiar with batching because I 'm all about batching and time blocking and all of those things, but also just thinking about the headspace of what you're doing, and that kind of goes along with the headspace of whenever you're putting out your project, whenever you're putting out your podcast or your course or whatever it is you're doing, it's more important to build that relationship that's continuous versus being so concerned with popping up as number one or number two or showing up as new and noteworthy just right out the gate because that may not happen, but that doesn't mean that you don't provide value.
1: Mm -hmm, Definitely. And I'll also add that I know that the podcast launch day for new podcasters is a huge deal. And for me too, the day that your podcast goes live or even now when like I had a new episode that went live this morning, it's so exciting. But the reason why, for example, like none of my resources are named how to launch a podcast in seven days, 30 days is because I think that the time before you launch any new project, whether it's a business, a side hustle, a podcast, You have such a luxury of time before it goes live where you can set yourself up to be successful after that point. By that, I would rather have my students prepare maybe three to five episodes before they launch so that from the day their podcast goes live, they're not on this hamster wheel of immediately being seven days out from needing another episode or feeling like they're immediately behind. So yes, the launch day is a big deal, but think about how much you could get done to set yourself up beyond the launch day. Think about the first month. I often say that I want people to launch not just episode one, but episode 101. Like I wanna set people up for the long-term. And for me, a lot of that is thinking about not just the day it happens, but the days after that too.
0: Gotcha, yeah, that's huge, that's huge. That is so valuable. So just to let you guys know, Melissa has so much value to bring, especially in the podcast world, that I'm going to invite her back and i'm i'm putting it out there right now melissa i'm inviting you back just to talk about podcasting and how to get started and what you do in Wet and wire and how you can take someone with interest to having and launching their own show is that, or is yeah, that a works. deal <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd be happy to okay good because she just has so much to bring and and just segueing in segueing into what she has to bring and we all know that we just, we don't all have your skills to be a top-rated instructor at, at GA and NYC. So we know that and in Skillshare. Guys, I don't know if you are aware, but Melissa also is a top-rated instructor with Skillshare. And we don't all have those skills. So help us out. What can we do when we don't have those skills, but we're ready to start a course? What can we do? How do we start? For sure. So for anybody thinking
1: about teaching, about a course, I think the biggest, maybe mindset that you can be in is what is the end transformation of your course? Because people at the end of the day are not buying 10 hours of videos and this crazy long workbook. Like We're all busy people. The reason why we buy courses is because we want the thing at the end. For me, people want to have a published podcast in Apple and Spotify. For other courses, like when I'm teaching an Excel course, they want to have the skills to confidently impress their boss or to be able to do their job even better. I often use this analogy too, but when you talk about health and wellness, there's no big secret to health and wellness, right? Like you got to eat well, you got to treat your body, you got to do some kind of exercise. And ultimately people are not buying the desire to exercise. They're buying the after photo. They're buying the concept of having – A six pack or a stronger body or whatever their ideal image is. Mm -hmm. And they're purchasing your course because they believe that you are the fastest and best way to get there. So I always talk about courses beginning with the end in mind. So are you helping people with something related to health and wellness? Is it something about parenting? Is it a business skill? Think about who your prospective students will be by the end of your course, and then ask yourself, how can I get them there? Because I think there's this maybe big question like, oh, couldn't I just Google it? And yeah, like people can Google all kinds of things these days, but they're going to pay you for a course because they believe that you are going to get them there faster and better. And that's something that people are willing to pay for. They're willing to pay money to reduce pain and to save time. So once you have that end in mind, maybe work backwards. Ask yourself, okay, I've I've achieved this. How did I get there? And then thinking about what are the major milestones that somebody has to hit in order to get to that end outcome. That's how you'll start to formulate an actual course or a curriculum to get somebody from A to Z. So that's my best tangible advice about not just what should the course include, but why are you having a course? And if you can't think of that clear transformation, no matter how big or small it is, maybe start instead with coaching or tutoring because what's great about that kind of one-to-one work is that you'll start to really learn what are people's pain points what are they willing to pay for and then after you start to see patterns that's when i think a course can come up to me a course is the confidence that you have a system that works that's worked for other people before and then mm-hmm. you can start to teach in a more automated way but if you've never taught your course if you've never offered your services i would say start with some one to one work to really work out what it is that people are willing to pay you for
0: Wow. I think that is superb advice because I think so many people are pivoting and they're trying to figure out how do I go from a freebie to something that's paid to it, be it that it's a course or that whatever it may be. But I think it's huge, a huge takeaway to focus on the one-to-ones and find out what's missing, find out where where they can fill in the spaces for their ideal client, for their ideal Mm -hmm. client. So I think that is, Huge. So thank you so much for that. So I want to, I want to know what our audience is thinking. So if you're listening in real time, you can go to the IG stories on the total fit boss chick uh, Instagram. And I'd like, we're going to have a poll and it's going to be listed in the podcast poll questions. So if you're listening in real time, it'll, it will be there listed on the actual day that we're airing the show. After that, if you're listening, it will be in the highlights. So here's the question. I want to know what you guys are thinking. Are you ready to start providing a paid version or are you still in the one-to-one kind of getting to know if you're ready to offer something that's paid? So I just want to know that the question is actually going to be listed there online. So please just weigh in. And if you missed this live on the actual day, please go back and see what the responses are to that, because it's very interesting to see where you are. Not to compare yourself to other people, but I think it's very important to know that At the end of the day, you've been doing this a while, Melissa. You didn't just start today. You didn't start yesterday. You've been doing this a while. And I think it's very important that we're all able to know that there was a starting point. There was some point that we all were newbies and we fumbled and we had, and we made mistakes and it's okay. And that's a part of what the lesson is. Going on from there, I'd like to ask you a few mentoring questions because what I've noticed with my audience is that we lack the proper mentorship in the very beginning and going forward. And it's very important to have those mentors to be able to ask, questions from those who's gone before us if you don't mind I'm going to I'm just going to ask you a few thought-provoking questions it's called our mentoring moments segment and it's just I'm just going to fire off some questions and you don't know what they are yet Melissa and that's the great part about it is because it's just your opinion there's no right or wrong to it but I think that you just bring so much value and it could help our audience with their next steps yeah let's do it Okay. All right. So how did you find your place in this world? when you There's so many loud voices. How did you find your place?
1: This is something I think I still think about a lot. It's so hard to put on blinders to the fact that a lot of other people are doing exactly what you want to do. And I think that was something that I had to overcome in the beginning is that the point of business is not to be the only person doing the thing that you do. And in fact, if there's competition, like if other people are talking about i 'm going to make some things up social media management or like healthy cooking or for me with podcasting like that's a good thing that shows that there's demand for what you do and if you don't see anybody talking about what you want to teach or what you want to share, that could be a problem. It could indicate that there's no demand. but the way that you 'll stand out is just by figuring out what's unique about you and your own approach like for me, the thing that I know that I do better than most people out there is teach. That's something I've been doing for years. It's something I have a real passion for. And so for me, I know a lot of people talk about podcasting, but I know that my content is really great because I've been trained in adult learning theory. I'm experienced. I'm giving people quick, easy to digest videos and helping them actually take action. And to me, that's how I know I can set myself apart. I've got this smart best friend, I'm here for you. Approach. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, the oldest kid. Like it's just a huge part of who I am. It's not a front. It's just my personality, and I think that's what sets me apart. Is that people feel taken care of when they're in my courses. They know that they're just gonna move through the material, and that I'm gonna help them achieve an outcome. Now, for somebody else, maybe it's your personality, your backstory, your experience. But I found that there's maybe a renewed confidence in my side business, Witten Wire, because I've just decided that yes, lots of other people are doing this, but it's my personality, my quirky sense of humor and my sense of teaching that'll help me stand out. So I would say if anybody is thinking about starting a business, but you're feeling intimidated or maybe feeling like imposter syndrome, like who am I to do this? Just know that it's you and your personality that'll make you stand out. It's not the topic that you pick. So I think that's an important distinction.
0: I totally agree. I totally agree. And you're doing such a great job in that space. We appreciate your voice. Thank you so much. So tell me what truth in your business, be it in the with Teachable or SlideShare or in your podcasting, what truth should everyone know?
1: I think there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in anyone's business. And a lot Mm. of what you see me doing now had to go through a lot of versions to get where it is. Like I didn't just wake up one morning and have this like perfectly formed concept for a podcast or for and Wire. Like in fact, the current version of and Wire's podcast is my fourth. And I think that when you're looking on Instagram, unfortunately, it's easy to see the best, the highlight really, like the best of what we're all doing. But behind the scenes of my business, I'm always... Trying new things and a lot of them have not worked out. I've had other business names in the past. I've had other products and services. I've tried all these price points. I've tried variations of how often I communicate with my people and how. And it's all just not a game necessarily, but it's this, in some ways, very creative pursuit. And I think if you embrace the mentality of feeling like business is creative and that you have the privilege of trying different things, and so maybe being hard on yourself and seeing everything as a failure. Like to me, anything that I try is just a creative experiment. And if it doesn't work, that's knowledge. And I just take that and move forward. So I think that's maybe the truth behind all of what I do is that the only reason why anything I have is successful is because I haven't been afraid to try a wide array of things. And now you're just seeing the ones that happened to work.
0: Wow. Powerful and so true. So true. Thank you so much for your transparency. Now, how do you plan on taking yourself to the next level if there's a next level?
1: Sure. So my goal with Wittenwire Wire is to run that business full time. And I'm really in no rush because I really love working at Teachable. I've been there for three years and I really deeply believe in like the company and the platform which is a tool that anybody can create and sell their own online courses. And so I feel very fortunate that I'm in a good, both financial place, but also like a job happiness place. Like I actually enjoy the place that I work. And so I'm really excited about the opportunity to run Witten Wire full time. And I definitely will be there within the year, if not by the end of 2020. But I like that I have the freedom to choose. So for me, the next level is continuing to find more students for my business, it's continuing to serve them in the ways that are helpful for them. Once I'm able to help more people launch their podcasts, then it's moving into maybe how to help them grow their podcasts or helping them think of their podcasts as one arm to a larger business. And although I already have hundreds of students currently, my plan is to reach more students and to help as many people as possible, because I really believe that people have such valuable knowledge to share. And I use the word valuable on purpose. Like I believe that your skills have a monetary value, something that people would be willing to pay you for. And I want to help empower more people to pursue those skills and to try to find more ways to profit from work that they really enjoy. And that doesn't have to mean that you, like me, want to, you know, throw caution to the wind and start a full business. It could just be a side hustle or something else that brings you joy and also money at the same time. I'll lastly add though that I don't think everything you do has to bring you money. I think there's an important distinction between things you do because you love them, hobbies, Mm. being around people. Like not everything you do has to earn you money. But I do believe that every one of us has the capacity to earn money doing something that is enjoyable, that lights us up. So yeah, for me, the next step is how do I start doing this full time? But like I said, gratefully, I'm not in a huge rush.
0: Gotcha. Melissa, you are a wealth of knowledge. And guys, she has so much more knowledge to give. Let everybody know, Melissa, the best ways to get in contact with you so they can get more of your yummy nuggets because you have some great content to give.
1: Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at witandwire. And if you want to check out any podcasting resources, you can visit witandwire.com slash totalfitbosscheck.
0: Okay, guys, I definitely appreciate it. Bye for now. As always, thanks for listening. And if you got value out of the show, please show us some love and rate us by going to ratethispodcast.com backslash Total Fit Boss Chick. You're listening to the Total Fit Boss Chick podcast. Bye for now.